say words are powerful, but just how powerful can they be? What kind of hold do you allow people to have over you? On this episode of Crime Over Cocktails, we discuss the case of Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy, and how something as simple as a text message can impact someone's life indefinitely. Conrad Roy was born in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, born on September 12, 1995. He was a happy child. He was always smiling. He was an all-around good kid, all the way up until when his parents were getting a divorce in his junior year of high school. After that, he became very depressed. To cope with his depression, he started a video diary he would share on the internet. And a little background on Michelle Carter. She was born on August 11, 1996 in Massachusetts as well. And by the age of eight or nine years old, she had developed an eating disorder. And around this time, she also started self-harming as well. By the time she was 14, she had started prescription psychiatric medications and went to counseling at McLean Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. By the age of 17, Conrad checked into a mental health facility after attempting suicide by taking over-the-counter medication. By the age of 17, Conrad had checked into a mental health facility after attempting suicide with over-the-counter meds in October of 2012. Later on that year, he went with his family to Florida to visit family that lived there. They went to the beach one day, and that's where he meets Michelle Carter. She was a friend of the family and lived in Massachusetts as well, but about an hour away from Conrad. So they stayed in touch, and they became good friends. So, like, they really met at a pivotal time in his life. Absolutely. Like, figure at that time he's not only impressionable but he's vulnerable going through all this for years you try to commit suicide and now he meets this girl after this time he did continue with his therapy and his medication regimen and throughout high school he played baseball he rode crew he ran track and he even graduated with a 3.88 grade point average which is amazing wow and when he graduated high school he got his captain's license from the northeast maritime institute he graduated on the honor roll Um, So things were really looking up for him. He continued his video blogs, but he had hope for his life. He would say things like, I feel like I still have a long way to go dealing with social anxiety and depression. But he did say that he wanted to live, you know, he wanted to live his life. He wanted to move past it and he wanted to get a job. He was excited about the prospects of his future. He was even accepted into Fitchburg State University to study business, but he ended up deciding not to go. But, I mean, he had a lot looking up for him. His life was literally turning around. Oh, yeah. It was getting back on track completely, which is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel for him. Yeah. I mean, he was saying he wanted to live, and now he found new hope. Yes. He was happy. Yes. One day, Conrad's mom gets a text message from Michelle asking if she knew where her son was. In the message, she adds that they're in a relationship and she cannot seem to reach him. His mother was a little confused by this because she did not know that Conrad had a girlfriend. And she didn't even know that they were really even keeping in touch since they had only seen each other a few times. When she checked his room, she knew he was not home. And so all of a sudden, they're like, he's missing. On July 13, 2014, his father gets a text message from a family friend stating she had seen Conrad's truck parked in a Kmart parking lot and that there was crime scene tape all over it. So he gets in his car, he heads over to the Kmart. He then finds out that his son was found behind the wheel of an apparent suicide. They did find a water pump in the back of his truck, and they did realize that carbon monoxide poisoning was probably the cause of death. 
So with carbon monoxide poisoning, it's really uh, not the best way to die by suicide, really. Um, it, it seems to be quite painful, in my opinion, reading about it. The autopsy found that Conrad's blood carbon monoxide level was 71%. To put this in perspective, the normal amount in the human body is 1-3%. to 3%. If you are a smoker, it's 3-5%. to 5%. With carbon monoxide poisoning, low levels cause confusion and dizziness. After a few minutes, you start to cough, and as time goes on, you start to cough more severely, you start to retch, and that's about five to six minutes into being exposed to carbon monoxide. After 17 minutes of exposure, your breathing drops to about three breaths per minute, and after 20 minutes, you are dead. 20 minutes is a long time to sit there and think about what you're doing. Right. That's crazy. It's a very long amount of time to, like you said, ponder your choice. Like, you know what's happening at the moment, yes. and you're just, like, watching. When you actually sit and focus on time, like, one minute, actually, it goes by a lot slower than you actually think, if you're oh, yeah. watching it. Yeah. It's just like when you watch a pot of water boil. 20 minutes of having these effects, and then you're panicking, you can't breathe, you're coughing, you're retching. I mean, it just seems like a really painful and horrible way to go out, honestly. Michelle starts reaching out to Conrad's family. She texted Conrad's mom and tells her that Conrad really loved her and that she was a great support system for him. She also texts his aunt and his grandmother, also telling them how much Conrad loved him. His whole family was confused. Nobody knew he was in a relationship. And she's going on like, hey, so I was dating Conrad. I'm so sorry for your loss. Right. He really loved you. I just want you to know that. She just attention grabs from the jump. Right. And obviously, if you're in you know, his family not knowing about this female in his life, you're kind of like, first of all, A, I'm grieving. B, like, what the hell? Like, who are you? Yeah, who are you to talk to me? <laughs> like, I would be like, so can you imagine the confusion? Especially his parents, close family, I'd be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, it's just weird and well, creepy. I'm sure the mom had to have met her, obviously, because they were at the beach. But she didn't know but, the extent of the relationship. Well, right. She probably so didn't coming know. being like, I I'm his girlfriend. By the way, so sorry you were a big support for him. I'd be like, thank you, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, who are you again? I met you once. Like, it's weird. Well, that's what she was saying. She's like, he's only seen her, like, not even... A handful of times. Not even a handful of times. Yeah. Really, their primary relationship, in quotes, quote-unquote, relationship, was via text, email, calling. Like, they didn't even have an in-person relationship. So, of course, these people are taken off guard. And also... I feel like bad timing to be reaching out to these people. Right. I get you want to show your respect, but they don't know you. They don't know who you are. So it's just kind of awkward, I would think. I want to know how she knew who to reach. Right. Like, how did you get their numbers? How, like, how did you contact them? The only thing I'm thinking, maybe, like, via Facebook. Maybe, you know, how people can sometimes post their numbers on Facebook if you make that public. But even so, you the research, you would have to go and, to like, go on his page. Go to his, like, know which family member to contact. Then reach out to them on either Messenger or text. Like, I'm not clear on which. But either way, it's, like, the amount of thought you're putting into that right. to make yourself known to these people is weird. No, I agree. Creepy. Michelle wanted to show awareness for suicide prevention, so she set up a fundraiser with her softball league called Homers for Conrad. His family was so impressed by her that they even went up to her parents and said how great of a child they raised, that they really appreciated all the work that she was doing to help remember him. 
So she really wanted to, like, portray herself as a self-proclaimed mental health advocate. And on the page, the fundraiser page that she made for him, she quoted herself in saying, Even though I could not save my boyfriend's life, I want to put myself out here to try to save as many other lives as possible. She really, in my opinion, tried to put herself on this pedestal. She completely inserted herself into this whole thing. Completely. Like, it's not about you, clearly. It's about somebody's life who is no longer here. And she just completely, like you said, yeah, inserted her life in this whole narrative Made herself seem like, not only like knight in shining armor, like, oh, I tried to save my boyfriend's life. But, like, it's, you should be raising awareness about mental health, not about how you couldn't save his life if you want to go that route. You know, like, it's not about the acts that no, you're absolutely. doing. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. You know, if you really felt like you couldn't save his life, which, you know, we'll get into about how much she really tried to help, that it, 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 her reaction is just bizarre. I agree. Two days later, the police start to go through Conrad's truck and are blindsided by what they find. The only person Conrad had contact with was Michelle. And the text messages that they find on his phone will be explosive. They then realize that Michelle was actually encouraging him to take his life. She even gave him suggestions on how he could do it. Like, uh, you could stab yourself. You could jump off a building. You could take medicine. You could shoot yourself. She was giving him all these reasons. She was giving him all these outs on how he can accomplish taking his life. Which is disgusting. As time goes on, she had alleged that two years prior to this, between 2012 and 2014, that in their text messages, their phone calls and emails, that she had tried to quote-unquote convince him to get help for his depression, for his social anxiety. And then suddenly in July 2014, something just flipped in her and she was like, you know what? Yeah, if this is what he wants to do, I'm going to help him commit suicide. So something just like switched in her that she's just taking this whole other route to his mental health. He even texted her saying that they should both commit suicide. And he referenced like Romeo and Juliet that... And he even confirmed with her a few times, like, that they were both going to go through with it. So the plan in his mind was that they were going to, like, do this together, like a double suicide. But I'm just going to go through right now the timeline of text messages specifically. I'm going to bring them up because it really paints a picture of where her, her, her mindset was at versus, like, what he went into this thinking it was. Get ready, people. Get ready, because this is a lot of uh, fucked up shit, to be quite honest. So, now remember, he died by suicide on July 13th, 2014. So, on June 19th, 2014, there are text messages saying that she wanted him to get help for his suicidal thoughts. So, she is texting him saying, but the mental hospital would help you. I know you don't think it would, but I'm telling you, if you give them a chance, they can save your life. Part of me wants you to try something and fail just so you can go get help. So she's already planting the seed, like, maybe if you try to commit suicide and fail, that would urge you to get help. So he says, it doesn't help, trust me. Michelle responds, so what are you going to do then? Keep being all talk and no action and every day go through saying how badly you want to kill yourself or are you going to try to get better? He responds, I can't get better, I already made my decision. A few days later, on June 23rd, 2014, Michelle texts him saying, how do you want to harm yourself? He responds, something, I don't know yet. She said, please don't. He said, I hate myself. I'll always hate myself. I'm never going to view myself as good. I'm so far behind. Michelle says, what is harming yourself going to do? Nothing. It'll make it worse. 
And he says, make the pain go away like you said. She says, it will make the pain go away temporarily, but when you're done, you'll just regret it and feel even worse. So it's in, even in the early text messages, she's breadcrumbing. I don't want you to do it, but you'll feel better. It's just a weird exchange to me um, where her motivations lie, really. It's a play on words. It's a play on words completely. Like, she wants to make herself seem like she's urging him to get help, but she's also like, yeah, you'll, you'll totally feel better. It seems like she's trying to make it seem like, well, if you try, you're going to fail, so then you'll really, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, you'll get help at the end of the day, but it's not guaranteed he would fail. So why are you even putting that on? Right. I mean, you're telling him to jump off a building. I'm pretty right. sure that's probably, like, end. Correct. So, further text on July 7th, 2014. Conrad says, if you were in my position, honestly, what would you do? Michelle says, I would get help, but that's just me, though. When I have a serious problem like that, my first instinct is to get help because I know I can't do it on my own. However, later that day, they do discuss the, the best way for him to produce carbon monoxide. So Michelle says, well, there's more ways to make carbon monoxide. Google ways to make it. And then Conrad says, oh my God. She says, what? He said, portable generator. That's it. Again, she's telling him, I would get help, but for you, you know, maybe you should just go through with it. Why don't you Google how yeah. you can kill yourself? Right. Are you really helping him in his mindset? I think not. On July 8th, 2014, Michelle says, so are you sure you don't want to kill yourself tonight? Conrad says, what do you mean? Am I sure? Michelle says, like, are you definitely not doing it tonight? He says, I don't know. I'll let you know. She said, because I'll stay up with you if you want to do it tonight. Conrad says, another day wouldn't hurt. And Michelle says, you can't keep pushing it off, though. That's all you keep doing. On July 11th, 2014, this is two days before his suicide, Michelle says, in my opinion, I think you should just do the generator because I don't know much about the pump. And with the generator, you can't fail. Oh, she said it was like 100% a hundred percent. Yeah, she kept trying to convince him. And these are just like snippets, but there's like a whole text thread of how, yeah, this is 100% fail safe. You can't get it wrong. Even if they find you, they can't resuscitate you. She did her research in this type of poisoning. It's, it's just sickening. She did her research for him. Right. She was like, hey, now you go look. But yeah. She already knew what was up. Exactly. Between... July 4th and July 12th, there's just different text messages, and I'm just going to go through them, of, like, how she would push him and kind of, like, berate him if he kind of had second thoughts about it. So she would say, you're going to have to prove me wrong because I just don't think you really want this. You just keep pushing it off to another night and say you'll do it, but you never do. In another text, she says, see, that's what I mean. You keep pushing it off. You just said you were going to do it tonight, and now you're saying eventually. She then says, but I bet you're going to be like, oh, it didn't work because I didn't tape the tube right or something like that. I bet you're going to say an excuse like that. In another text, do you have a generator? He says, not yet. Laugh out loud. She says, well, then when are you getting it? In another text, you better not be bullshitting me and saying you're going to do this and then purposely get caught. This happens overnight into the next morning. Then he starts between July 11th and 12th starts kind of expressing concern about his family and, you know, the repercussions of actually committing suicide. So he says to her, I'm just too sensitive. I want my family to know there was nothing they could do. I'm entrapped in my own thoughts. Like, no, I would be happy if they had no guilt about it because I have a bad feeling that this is going to create a lot of depression between my parents and sisters. I'm overthinking everything. Fuck, I gotta stop and just do it. Michelle responds, I think your parents know you're really in a bad place. I'm not saying they want you to do it, but honestly feel like they can accept that. 
Wow. Which is horrible. Wow. Horrible. She goes on to say, they know there's nothing they can do. They've tried helping. Everyone's tried. But there's a point that comes where there isn't anything anyone can do to save you, not even yourself, and you've hit that point. And I think your parents know you've hit that point. You said your mom saw a suicide thing on your computer and she didn't say anything. I think she knows it's on your mind and she's prepared for it. Which is awful. No parent ever prepares for their child to kill themselves. Right. And also, again, she's inserting this narrative. Like, she again has met his mom probably literally once. Right, in Florida. In Florida. In 2012. Mind you, these texts are in 2014. So two years have passed and she's just making this narrative for him. Your mom's going to be okay with it. She knows. She accepts it. It's fine. Just do it. She further goes on in texting him and says that everyone will be sad for a while, but they will get over it and move on. They won't be in depression. I won't let that happen. They know how sad you are and they know what you're doing and they know that you're doing this to be happy and I think they will understand and accept it. They'll always carry you in their hearts. Further in the night, he said, I don't want anyone to hurt in the process, though. I meant when they open the door, all the carbon monoxide is going to come out and they can't see it or smell it, whoever opens the door. She says, they will see the generator and know that you died of carbon monoxide. Time passes. He says to her, hey, can you do me a favor? She said, yes, of course. He says, just be there for my family with a smiley face. She says, Conrad, of course I will be there for your family. I will help them as much as I can to get through this. I'll tell them about how amazing their son and brother truly was. Later in the night, he says to her, I don't know. I'm freaking out again. I'm overthinking. Michelle says, I thought you wanted to do this. The time is right and you're ready. You just need to do it. You can't keep living this way. You just need to do it like you did last time and not think about it and just do it, babe. You can't keep doing this every day. He says, I do want to, but like I'm freaking for my family, I guess. I don't know. And she says, Conrad, I told you I'll take care of them. Everyone will take care of them to make sure they won't be alone and people will help them get through it. We talked about this. They will be okay and accept it. People who commit suicide don't think this much. They just do it. So now, a day before his suicide on July 12, 2014, she then exchanges texts with him before his body is found. And he's still expressing hesitation about going through with the suicide. So Michelle says, so I guess you aren't going to do it then. All that for nothing. I'm just confused like you are so ready and determined. He says, I'm going to eventually. I really don't know what I'm waiting for, but I have everything lined up. Michelle says, no, you're not, Conrad. Last night was it. You keep pushing it off and say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always going to be that way if you don't take action. You're just making it harder on yourself by pushing it off. You just have to do it. Do you want to do it now? He said, is it too late? I don't know. It's already light outside. I'm going to go back to sleep. Love you. I'll text you tomorrow. She said, no, it's probably the best time now because everyone's sleeping. Just go somewhere in your truck and no one's really out right now because it's an awkward time. If you don't do it, you're never going to do it. And you say you'll do it tomorrow, but you probably won't. She said, you just need to do it, Conrad, or I'm going to get you help. You can't keep doing this every day. So he said, okay, I'm going to do it today. She said, do you promise? He said, I promise, babe. I have to now. She said, like right now? He said, where do I go? Sad face. She said, and you can't break a promise and just go in a quiet parking lot or something. Like I said, there's, this is just a few snippets. Of their text, there's literally hundreds of texts between them for weeks before he does this. On the day that he committed suicide, Michelle had called him 14 times starting at 4.10 a.m. So she bombarded him all day, asking him, when are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Which is sad. On the night of his suicide at 6.28 p.m., she talked to him for a total of 43 minutes on one phone call. 
Shortly before 8 p.m., they spoke on the phone again for a total of 47 minutes. And then between 8.02 and 8.36 p.m. on the night that he died, she had called him 10 times, but he had never answered. I just can't. You promise? Like, what kind of a promise is that? Do you promise you're going to kill yourself? I just have a lot of, I guess I want to say, anger towards her. You have to think from his point of view, right? He is in a depressive state of mind. He's trying to talk to her through it. And like we said before, she's kind of like, hey, you could get help, but you should really kill yourself. Right. That's how you feel better. Right. You're not really trying to urge him to get help because if you're trying to urge him to get help, you're you're not going to talk about suicide. That's not going to make you better. That's going to end your life. Just the amount of her adamance on how she wanted him to kill himself was sickening. Oh, it's disgusting. It's absolutely appalling how she went in on him. And she, like I said, she berated him. She would call him a coward for not doing it. You're chickening out. That you're not going through with this. You're never going to do it. You promised me. You broke a promise. I thought you were going to do it. I can't keep, you can't keep your word for shit. I know at one point she did say a promise is a promise. Yes. Like you have to uphold this. Right. So you figure for him. And I mean, I'm not obviously going to speak for him. I don't know really detailed into what his mind was like at this time. But you already have a fragile mindset. You've already tried to commit suicide before. You do have a history of depression, social anxiety, different mental illnesses. You're on, you know, medication for mental illness. And you have this woman who you care about who keeps saying, kill yourself, kill yourself. You should kill yourself. Hey, you know what you should do today? Are you going to kill yourself? Did you kill yourself yet? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. You're going to do it today? How are you going to do it? Let's talk about how you're going to do it. Yeah, this is a fail-safe way. No, don't do this way. That's going to be a little painful. This way is faster. Like, hey, just promise me you're going to do it. Don't worry about your family. I'll take care of your family. Just do it. They all accept it. They want you to. You know, after a week or so of that, that gets in your head. Right. And then I think at that point, he kind of felt like he had to. Right. You feel an obligation because she's so invested and she's so, you made a promise. She's adamant. You made a promise. You made a promise. You broke a promise. Thought you said you were going to do it. Your word doesn't count for shit. What are you doing? Like, it's just awful how she went in on him to do this. Yeah. It's just terrible. So the cops call Michelle to see what she's going to say. And she talks with them with no problem and tells the police that she was actually trying to talk him out of it. So the police asked, well, what did you say when you talked to him to try to talk him out of it? And she said that she told him things like that she loved him and that a lot of people love him and to go with her to get the help that he needs. She also tells the police that she didn't talk to him on the day of the suicide, which obviously they know is a lie. They bring her in for a formal statement and she's still telling them that she's been trying to help him. So the police tell her, well, we're going to need your cell phone. And that's when her face drops and you could see the panic on her face. Which I want to point out here that other text messages that she was sending him on the night he committed suicide, she even told him multiple times, hey, before you go through with it, delete these messages. Delete our text thread. Make sure you delete it. So you clearly know that this is incriminating and you that just shows that you know you should not be doing and saying this. When you're saying, because anytime you say, hey, you know what? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, make sure you delete that. Means you know you're doing something wrong. Right. And that you don't want people to see it. She told him that many times. So, of course, when the police are like, hey, I'm going to need your phone. She's like, oh, fuck. But why would you tell him to delete them and then you not delete them yourself? My thoughts on that is that because a few days before 
he had died by suicide. She had started kind of getting feelers out, making it seem like he was missing. So she would text other people, hey, have you seen Conrad? Hey, I haven't heard from Conrad. So she's setting the scene, right? Meanwhile, she's texting him about generators. Like, hey, what are you, when are you going to do this? Texting other people, I don't know where he is. Hey, babe, have you decided yet? I think with this, when she's saying that she wanted him to just delete it, I don't think she really in her head thought they would look into her. Because she's setting the scene for the suicide to be this grieving girlfriend, right? So I don't think that she thought they would be like, let me see your shit. And then when they did, she was like, oh, fuck. She's supposed to be like the good Samaritan. Right. She's supposed to be like the, you know, the angel. I tried to help him. Oh my gosh, poor Conrad. You know, grieving girlfriend. I did a fundraiser for him. I'm, I'm a mental health advocate. Even in the quote that I said earlier on her page that I couldn't help my boyfriend, but I hope to touch many other lives. You couldn't help your boyfriend because you were forcing him with the idea of taking his life. Had you changed your vocabulary and your narrative to him, he would probably most likely be alive today. Oh, absolutely. I believe that. Without a doubt. You could tell in the messages that he really didn't want to do it. I mean, he did in a sense. He wanted to get better. Yeah. Like, he would always, even in further texts that I read, like, he wanted to get better. He'd be like, I don't feel hopeful right now. I want to be happy again. Like, how can I basically get that? She's like, oh, how can you be happy? Kill yourself. Like, that's not the conversation she should have been having. She should have been pushing maybe a medication change, more therapy, a different therapy regimen, you know, things like that. Well, they were going through her phone. They also saw how she was going back and forth. She would text her friend, Sam, and she said, oh my God, I think he did it. But then minutes later, she's sending text messages to Conrad saying, the generator will work 100%. It'll be quick. Why don't you just do that? Right. Again, she's trying to paint herself in this light of poor me, like, oh my god, I can't reach my boyfriend, I hope he didn't harm himself. And then, like you said, texting him, hey, did you do it yet? Right. So you're clearly playing both sides of the field here. After he was found, she sends Sam another message. And she says, Sam, he's dead and it's my fault. I was on the phone with him and it was working. He got out of the truck because he was starting to get dizzy And he was feeling nauseous, and I told him to get back in. If they go through my phone, I'm fucked, and I could go to jail for a long time. She knew what she she was doing. She knew. 100% she knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing was wrong. He got out of the truck. He was starting to feel it. And he, he, you could tell, I'm sure he was getting scared. Yeah. He's dizzy. He probably wanted to throw up. I mean, with all the stuff that happens to your body. So he actually, he gets out of the truck and he's stumbling around and he's like, hey, I can't do this. And she's like, get your ass back in that truck. Yeah. And I even read like she, her message to Sam made it seem like she was just gently like, I told him to get back in the truck. But like I read articles where she was very aggressive with him, even saying, get back in the fucking truck. You promised me, get back in the truck, get your ass back in the truck. Very aggressive. Not just, hey, do you want to get back in the truck? Like, she was very adamant that he get back in the truck and finish what he started. They also noted that after he was already gone, that Michelle was still sending him text messages saying, did you do something? I love you. Again, trying to make it sound almost like he was missing. Yeah, she's trying to play this narrative, again, a caring, grieving girlfriend. Meanwhile, she knew for days that this is what happened. She helped set it up for weeks, and then she's basically texting him more or less, hey, love you, hope you're okay, when you know damn well he's not okay. 
You know exactly what's happening. They were on the phone, I think, for two hours while he was in that car. Yeah, different times, almost an hour, two different times. Yeah. And he was expressing hesitation to her, and she kept trying to convince him, and it's just... It's just honestly horrible. So, on February 4th, 2015, Michelle was indicted and arraigned the next day for involuntary manslaughter. And she was 17 at this time. So, the court decided to indict her as a youthful offender rather than a juvenile. With this title, she could have been sentenced as an adult for this charge. During the trial, her defense said that, again, for a year and a half, two years, she tried to talk him out of the suicide. She tried to get him help. They said that she hadn't seen him in person for a year and that she even tried to convince him to go to the hospital where she went for her eating disorder. And she would say she would she would go with him. We can get the help together. She was actually also on antidepressants for a depressive disorder. Yeah, so she was on medication as well, and that also came into her defense by saying that it made her not think like herself. It made her think kind of out of the box, and she wouldn't normally do this had she not been on the antidepressant. And they said that ultimately he was in control of their relationship, and he used her, and... You know, I read that they had tried to make it seem like he manipulated her, like she was some young, impressionable girl, and she just wanted to please him, and he was really the driving hand in this. But, I mean, obviously to me, going through all the text messages that she sent him, he's clearly not the driving hand in this. Her defense also said that it wasn't until the two weeks before the incident that she felt bombarded with his thoughts of suicide. And while dealing with her own demons, it was just too much. And then that's when she was finally like, fine, I'll help you. Which is also a lie because the threads went back to mid-June of when she started planting the seed. Two weeks before he died on July 13th would be really the beginning of July. So for weeks before that, she was beginning to plant the seed with him where she, that's when she would like kind of breadcrumb like, you should get help, but kill yourself. So that timeline kind of didn't jive with me in the court, which I know they're obviously trying to get her off on her charge, but I mean, really, text messages don't lie. That's right. So ultimately, Michelle waived her right to a jury trial. What that means is that her case would only be presented and heard by a judge. She wouldn't have a trial with the jury. It took three days for the judge to come back with a verdict after they presented days and days of, to me, overwhelming evidence against her. I think, honestly, that was probably their best bet. If you would have put 12, even 6 jurors on oh, that, yeah. she would have been gone for uh, a long I agree time. 100%. Yeah. Because they literally laid out probably a majority of the text that they had sent and even the brief snippet that I read you guys I mean I feel like it's very apparent of what her intention was absolutely because you know the prosecution would have had other parents on the jury right and they're gonna think as if what if that was my child right what would I want done exactly you're not gonna have someone who's gonna be presented these facts and be like yeah you know what I think she really had good intentions by telling him to jump off the building it's just not, it's not plausible. So I do feel like that was probably her best bet to waive the trial by jury. But yeah. I mean, the results to me are still... Pisses me off. Pisses me off too. <laughs> so back to what the judge said. After the three days, he came back with a verdict. And he started off by saying that he felt she was not necessarily responsible for his death because it was his own decision to take his life. He is the one who went in the car. He's the one who set up the contraption with the two-wing, um, it was his choice. She was not physically there at the time. And at this time, she looked relieved because it seemed like the judge was going to let her off in this case, right? 
But then he went on to say that there was a break in the chain of self-causation. What that means is that at the time that Conrad got out of the truck and he said, I don't want to proceed with this. I don't want to go through with this. And she urged him to get back in the truck. This was a break in that chain of causation where the judge is saying she should have then let him stay out of the car, got help, called 911, told somebody to go help him instead of saying, get your ass back in the fucking car. Right. That's where the judge was kind of holding her liable because at that point where he stopped and hesitated, she shouldn't have urged him back. She should have urged him the other way of not completing what he was trying to do. Like, as a citizen, isn't it almost like a law? You have the duty. It's your duty to help protect right. people. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like if you see someone, you know, lying down on the street, it's your duty to, you know, go help them. Or try to, or call right. somebody. Like, if you're not physically, you need to call somebody and say, hey, I see, I see this. I don't want to say I feel the judge's indication of it was bullshit, but I feel like it was bullshit. Because I completely feel that had she not egged this on for weeks, he would not have gone through with it. So, yeah, she was not physically there, but... She it, was emotionally there. She was emotionally there, and if someone's saying, I need help, the help you shouldn't offer is killing yourself. Right. And I get, you know, laws are laws, and there are things in depth that, you know, I might not agree with law-wise, actual law-wise, but she did egg it on 100%. So on June 16th, 2017, she was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and she remained free on bail pending the sentencing. She did remain out on bail until her sentencing. She was not in jail for that time. On August 3rd, 2017, she was sentenced to serve two and a half years with 15 months at the Bristol County House of Corrections. The rest of the balance was suspended and she did get five years of probation. So after this, her, her attorney did ask the judge to issue a stay of the sentence until all of her court appeal options were exhausted. And the judge did grant this under the condition that she stay away from Conrad's family. Wow, no loss there. Yeah, I feel like, what the hell? What the actual hell? First of all, between your actually guilty charge and when you're sentenced, normally you're in jail. And she yeah. was allowed to stay at home. You have to wait for right. your sentencing. You have to wait either for our trial. No matter what, usually you're sitting your little pretty butt in jail. Right. And she was allowed to go home and live her life. It's just baffling to me. You really still have no consequences to what you did. You're getting sentenced, but it's really a slap on the wrist. Like, well, just make sure not to talk to his mom and we're good to go. On February 6, 2019, the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts upheld her conviction to stand, citing that she acted with criminal intent when she encouraged Conrad to commit suicide. She was actually facing a max of 20 years. I actually feel like, though, 20 years is still not enough. I think 20 years is a little... She would be 40. I don't know. Maybe she should have done, like, 5 or 10 years. I mean, 20 is a little rush because, again, I mean, it's hard because he did take his own life. He did, so. but had she not said all that, say, for example, and, you know, like the butterfly effect, right? Say he never met her. Potentially, he would still be alive. Say she changed her verbiage to him. He would potentially be alive. Five to ten years when you're urging him on. It's not even like five texts where you're like, well, yeah, if you feel better, go ahead and do it. You do you. Hundreds upon hundreds of texts yeah, urging I, I him. I get that. Twenty is a lot, but what she got was ridiculous. 
I, I think 20 is not even enough, personally. On February 11th, 2019, she began serving her 15-month sentence, and then her attorney automatically tried to get a, par a parole hearing to get early release. But this was denied on September 20th, 2019. However, on January 23rd, 2020, Michelle was released due to good behavior. They said she was this model citizen in prison. She held a job inside there. She actually participated in a variety of programs. So she only served 11 months out of the 15. Which is disgusting to me. I, I, like, I hate that. She was 23 years old when she got out. 23. And meanwhile, again, let's put it in perspective, Conrad is no longer living. This is where I struggle. I get she wasn't physically there However, words are very strong. It's, words are powerful. Words are powerful, especially in people with mental illness who are struggling. This might have been a point where he's struggling in his life because with depression and anxiety, you know, you go through ups and downs, right? This might have been like a down moment for him. And if you're constantly berating somebody who's already down, already contemplating suicide, and you're like, do it, do it, do it. I just feel like 11 months is just trash. And then she, he is no longer living. She's 23 when she's released. You have your whole life ahead of you. You can go to college. You can get married. You can have a family. You can have kids. You can hold down a job. You can do whatever you want to do. Meanwhile, you essentially, in my opinion, took somebody's life. Yeah. It's disgusting. No, it's super disgusting. For me, she really, she wanted the attention. She just wanted the accolades of being a girlfriend of a person who committed suicide. And I don't, I just feel like I struggle with that with her because her case really upsets me because I even read text messages, you know, testimony throughout the trial where she would tell people in her school texting, she has no friends, no one wants to hang out with her. So I really feel like that's what stemmed this where she wanted everyone to be like, oh my God, come eat with us. Your boyfriend just, you know, died by suicide. Please come hang out with us. I'm so sorry. How are you doing? Giving her the attention that she always wanted. And this was her out for that. And that's horrible. Like you said, she served 11 months. That's nothing. Yeah, I really feel like that's not long enough. I think she should have done at least a few years for this. Not saying she should have spent the rest of her life behind bars. I think so. You also have to remember, these are teenagers. Their hormones are going crazy as well. And then you put in the mental illness, you put in everything else that's going along with it. Mm -mm. It should, All of it was just a recipe for disaster. Hard pass. No. Hard pass on that. There are plenty of teenagers in the world who are going through hormonal changes, who are going through depression, anxiety, and that now is more prevalent than, you know, the 60s and 70s or whatever. People don't just urge people to kill themselves because they're 16 years old. No, and I get that one. Trust me, what she did is absolutely disgusting, and she needs to pay for it. I'm just saying I don't think she needed to go away for, like, the rest of her life. Or I feel years. like she should. When is enough enough? You know what I mean? Like, right. 11 months, first of all, is not enough to know what you did wrong. And also, I feel like she never took responsibility. She also never went to give a statement on trial. She never spoke at all. She never commented on what happened to her side. But also, she knew what she was doing wrong, and it was proven that she was making a storyline before he died when you knew he was going to kill himself you're texting people where is he have you reached out to him then you know he killed himself because you're on the phone with him as he's taking his last breath yeah i did read somewhere that she could actually hear him like kind of gurgling, gurgling right yes. before he died so and then they said also that she actually stayed on the phone many minutes after yeah, the phone like to call. make sure yeah to make sure she right. didn't hear anything so then 
after this when you know that this is what happened and then you're texting him like hey babe you okay hey I love you I hope you're good honey all that stuff then you're reaching out to his family oh my god you were such a good support in his life I'm his girlfriend you have no remorse she never showed remorse so I don't feel like 20 years is enough for her you're not showing anything that you cared about this person at all you just wanted the attention right and she never even was like yeah I shouldn't have done that yeah I should have taken a different approach yeah I should have pushed therapy I should have pushed different medications I should have pushed him getting help she never said jack shit you didn't even show an ounce of care that this person is not here anymore is the whole thing is just it's a tragedy it's it's horrible I feel very bad for his family that they had to go through this I'm sure her family has also gotten a lot of backlash yeah over what had happened what had transpired i'm sure i mean and we do in a live in a society right now where if you're going on a date most of us we google a hundred percent to see who you're going out with and this is what's gonna pop up for you right i mean even her face well recognized oh for sure well if you know anybody who is feeling depressed or if it's yourself just know that help is available. Yes. And the line for the suicide prevention is 1-800-273-8255. Call them. Let them know what you're going through. Yes. They can help you. You don't have to end your life. Don't make a temporary situation permanent. Yes. A hundred percent. Like we said on the last episode, therapy is so beneficial. So beneficial. So like Tiff said, if you know someone who's struggling, if you're struggling... Just reach out to someone. People care. People can help. And you're not alone. No. Unfortunately, it's so prevalent. In this day and age, I mean, back in the 60s, they didn't have half the problems we, we do now. No, 100%. So, it's normal to it is feel normal. inadequate or, you know, everybody goes through ups and downs. Yes. But it doesn't last forever. No. And, you know, having a conversation with a therapist or even a friend, someone you trust, anything can really make all the difference. Don't call Michelle. Yeah, don't call <laughs> Michelle because that will go sideways real quick, obviously. But, yeah, that is the case of Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy. And be sure to check out our website, crimeovercocktails.com. Check out our socials. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much any other platform. We have our YouTube page up where our audio will be on there. You can like, subscribe, follow all those. Again, let us know what you all think. Give us feedback. If you like what we're doing, if you don't, you have any suggestions of what you want to hear, just let us know. We're always down to talk. We love responding to messages and talking with you guys. It's really, really fun. Uh, we also have another new Patreon. Woo! Woo! Renee D. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Renee. So she gets a bunch of good stuff. So make sure to head to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com backslash crime over cocktails and check out our different tiers. And again, if money's tight for y'all right now, believe me, we understand. So word of mouth is free and we love it. And any way you can support it, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, share our pages, comment, review, anything you can do for free, we also appreciate. We do have some things to stay tuned for in the next coming weeks, including merchandise, which we are super excited, so excited to do. We are designing and planning that. 
And we also have a fun new addition on our website that's coming soon. So make sure to follow our Instagram and our Facebook and our Twitter for those updates. And stay tuned. So we will talk crime another time. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye.